All right, so hello everyone and welcome to the AI Stories podcast. I'm Neil Leiser, I'm a data scientist at IWACA, and I will be your host. So today we've got Yuri Moscovich. Yuri did a bachelor in mathematics at King's College London and then did a master in operational research at LSE. He, after that, he worked for Satalia, which is an AI consulting firm, and became the head of solution. And he then decided to quit to create his own company, Predico, which is doing smart and easy inventory planning for e-commerce brands. So hi, Yuri. I'm so happy to have you here with me. How are you today? Hey, Neil. I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for the intro. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, so first of all, I kind of want to know, when did you start learning about AI and how did you get into the field? Yeah, well, I started, you know, as you said, with a, a back, I have a background in mathematics from King's. And then, you know, I wanted to apply my knowledge, I guess, to uh, the real world. You know, it was, I, I feel that there are two types of people in a mathematics class. There are some people that understand it every, like straight away and some people that need to work really hard to understand everything. And I was part of the second part. And so for me, I really wanted it to be a, uh, to be applied to the real world, to be quite tangible. So I did my master's in operations research. And then to put this theory into practice, this is when I started working for Cetalia while I was actually doing my master's. So this, I guess, is when I got introduced to the space. Okay, cool. And so you, you mentioned you did your master in operational research. Can you explain a bit what it is? Is it similar to AI or is it different? I guess the way, so artificial intelligence, you, it has multiple layers. Uh, the way I like to see it is, you know, you have some data, you analyze it and you want to do what we call predictive analytics, which is to predict things based on the inputs. And then you've got what is called prescriptive analytics, which is basically based on all of that information, you know, the data that we have, the predictions that we just made, what is the best decisions, you know, we can make to, you know, satisfy a specific objective. And that is the field of operations research. It's basically the application of mathematics to, I guess, solve real world problems uh, based on a specific objective function that you give it. So to give it a concrete example, you could have, you know, a bunch of stores as a retailer and, and a, a set of employees, and you've got some clients coming into those stores. You first want to predict how many you know, people will be coming to the store and then decide how many employees you actually allocate in the store to serve those customers. So the first one is predictions, right? It's the predictive aspect. And the second one is the prescriptive aspects is making a decision on how many employees you actually optimize for to make sure that you satisfy, you know, supply and demand. So it's kind of solving an optimization problem. So I guess in some sense, it's similar to AI because you have an objective function, but it's different because you can also set some kind of constraints and make the problem more flexible. Yeah, I guess so. I think there are many, many definitions of what AI is and isn't. And so this definitely could fit in, or at least the, the addition or the sum of these different fields put together can actually be a combination of what we today call AI. Okay, cool. I see. And 
during this master, you were working for Satalia already or you joined just after? Uh, I actually started working for Satalia while I was doing my master's. Yeah. Cool. And um, as an internship or something? Master I guess, yeah, no, no I, I was doing some part-time stuff for them. Like I basically for the, the funny story is that I wanted to do like put the theory into practice while I was doing my operations research masters and uh, Sydney, my girlfriend actually found about Satalia for like while she was at uni and she was doing a work like a specific project and she found about the company. She sent it over. I sent an email to the, the CEO and said what I was learning and like, what I wanted to try and do for this company. And, you know, we met at his office and then at the end, you know, I started working for them part-time uh, while I was doing my master's. And then I ended up doing like a final year project and just being hired from the, like by the company full-time after my studies. Okay, cool. So you finish your master, then you start working for Satalia. What's the company doing exactly? I know it's a consulting firm, but I'm sure there is something special about it. So Satalia is an enterprise AI firm. Um, it's leaning more towards the service side rather than the product side. So as you said, it's more like a consulting company. And um, we were developing on-demand softwares for enterprise, like very large enterprise, 1 billion plus in annual revenue. So we worked with Tesco, with PwC, and like some retailer groups to develop technology based on what they needed. Only 1 billion plus companies. Not specifically, but like the, the biggest clients from the company were, you know, the larger, larger enterprise because, you know, they had specific needs they needed to actually solve. And the example I gave earlier with like the store and allocating staff based on customer demand is an actual problem we solved for a specific retailer. Another example would be with Tesco, we developed their last mile delivery system. So that's, you know, again, taking into account how many orders they are getting every day from people that are at home and figuring out based on the number of drivers and number of cars and trucks and things like that that they have, you know, what's the best delivery uh, schedule that we, we can give to optimize the number of delivery we do. So these are the types of projects we were doing. And we had engineers, data scientists and operations researchers as part of the team, the technical team, I would say, to do that. And yeah, that's interesting. I'm I'm curious about this. Do you know why would Tesco or whatever company choose Satalia rather than another firm? Like, you know, there are a lot of kind of AI consulting companies. BCG has BCG Gamma. McKinsey has Quantum Black. So why Satalia and not another AI firm? It's a very good question. I think there is certainly an element of timing as well. Like Daniel... The CEO of the company was quite present, like he, he's quite a figure in the scene, especially in London. So I think the fact that he's, you know, he was out and about doing some talks that was giving us some press and some presence within the space. And I think also the the story of the company and the way we like the way it was structured, gave Tesco and and you know uh, other clients the confidence. To, to work with a company like ours. And because we're quite flexible in the way, you know, the things we can develop, we're not, I would say, or we were not specialized in one specific area and that's all we do. We were really like a proper consulting firm taking care of like the actual ideation and, you know, figuring out how to solve the problem 
up until the delivery. So like from A to Z. Okay, so not like a fixed solution, but more adapting to what the client needs to solve his problem. Yeah, to be honest, you know, they weren't really a problem we were saying no to at the beginning until we developed expertise in specific area and we saw like where we were actually better at certain things. But um, that's also what was quite attracting about the company for, you know, a, a young graduate like me. It's like, you know, you tend to work on a bunch of different projects in different industries and you get to learn loads because you're all of a sudden being put in front of CEOs of very large businesses and or just, you know, like C-suite level people. So that was quite cool. Cool. Can you give me an example of a project that you've been working on and where you actually had a big impact on the company? I know you mentioned Tesco and the delivery, but is there some more detailed project that you worked on where you actually could see that you had really a big impact on the company? Yeah, I would say that the one that I shared earlier, maybe I can dig a little bit deeper into that because that's one that I was responsible for. There's a company called DFS. They sell sofa here in the UK and internationally as well. They have about 250 stores and they had one big problem, which is that they weren't really good at forecasting how many customers were coming in and out of the stores. And it's it's a it's a brand that has something very specific to them is it's not like you go into, you know, a Zara or H&M, you can, you know, you like a t-shirt, you buy it and you go out. You need to be assisted by a specific employee, like a seller, uh, to make sure that you can complete a sale. So the fact that you needed to pair an employee with a customer was very key to them, but they didn't have much visibility on how many people were coming in and out and on the short, mid and long term. And so what they hired us to do was to predict at an hourly level up to a month and a half to two months in advance how many customers were coming in and out of the 250 stores. So that's the predictive modeling that we had to develop based on specific inputs. And I'll tell you more in a second. And the second part was taking those predictions and also like all of the employee information, like, you know, their contracts hours, the days they had specific, you know, um, off, like where they were off or on holidays, like all of that input was very important to then allocate the employees accordingly to make sure that, you know, whenever there was a peak in demand, we could predict that and make sure we were allocating the right number of staff and vice versa. If there was a throw in demand, we needed to make sure that we didn't have too many employees because that would be a waste of money for the company. Before us, they were allocating, you know, depending on the size of the store, a unique number of people across the entire week or just like week versus weekend, like five to six employees. And then after that, they were, they had like two shifts per day where they were actually allocating, let's say three at the beginning because it was quite quiet and then five to six people at the end of the day. And then on weekends, a peak of 12 people and then at the end of the day, maybe six or seven. And that allowed us to not only save money, but also make extra money because they were generating extra sales. And so I can't remember the ex exact numbers on top of my head, but we're talking about five to 6% extra revenue overall for the brand which is a huge difference for a company, you know, that makes, yeah, 10 digits a number in terms of annual revenue. So it's, it was a, it was a great project. It was a, a very technical one, but it was quite cool to spend a lot of time with the, the actual users. So like the people in the stores and also like the C-suite. So like the senior people 
in a management team that you know wanted to implement this project. Oh, that's quite impressive. So making them save like millions using your algorithm. And I'm curious, is the algorithm that you're developed, so it seems you have some constraints and you need to allocate some people. So is this operational research or is this AI? Well, or maybe is it both or a combination? But what kind of algorithm is behind this? So I think there are two different, so there are two different activities here. The first one was the predictive model that we set up, which was taking into account historical sales, historical footfall data. So how many people were coming in and out of the store, but also marketing data, like, you know, if they were running ads on television or on billboards that were attracting some people and also some built-in data. So like external data, like weather. The weather was a very big driver in footfall in the good or the bad sense, because, you know, if it was raining a lot, it could mean that not a lot of people were coming, but it was too sunny. Same thing. People are not coming to buy a sofa when it's like 30 degrees, right? They have other things to do. So that was from a prediction perspective. And we started developing this model that was predicting at a daily level and then at an, at an hourly level. And so the granularity was becoming more and more granular up until we reached, I think it was somewhat around on average, close to 80% accuracy in the predictions for hourly forecast of footfall up to six weeks in advance. So that's one thing. The other thing, which is the prescriptive analytics or like the decision-making algorithm, which now falls into the activity of operations research, you know, they wanted to make sure that they were allocating the most optimal number of people based on a number of constraints. And so all of these are specific rules that you input into the model and that are very pragmatic, like very realistic. I have employees that cannot work more than 40 hours a week. Every employee should be taking two days off. Employee, you know, like Neil can only work, you know, Monday to Friday because Saturday and Sunday he needs to spend some time with his kids. Like these were the types of, you know, information that we were getting. And we needed to make sure that, it, you know, the algorithm basically works around all of those constraints to create the most optimal schedule from an employee perspective and one of the inputs obviously was the predictions right like you need to predict how many people are coming in and you use that to you feed that well that that output into that new algorithm that we were building so that we could really allocate like match supply and demand in the most optimal way okay i see very cool so it's kind of two different algorithms a predictive one which predicts how many people you need for each store or what the demand would be. And then the second one, which will allocate those people to different stores, right? Exactly. Okay, cool. And so after a few years, you became the head of solution at Satalia. What were you doing there? What was your role exactly as the head of solution? Yeah, tell me more about this. Yeah, so we... You know, we, Satalia has a, had a very flat structure in the sense that, you know, you, you, you didn't have any managers, you didn't have any restrictions on holidays and things like that. So this also means that there was an opportunity for anybody who was willing to do so to just work on multiple projects at the same time or like try to do as much as they wanted, like they could. 
And I guess, you know, I was quite hungry and I was also, I also wanted to work on multiple projects and, you know, get to see what I liked the most. And I think something I realized is while I was working on this particular project, you know, the one that I just described, I also like to oversee other stuff and make sure that, you know, the other projects we had going on, the one that were built on demand for our customers were being overseen and were managed properly. And so I got off a disposition to basically manage all of those projects that were ongoing in parallel and make sure that, you know, we were staffed properly. We were, you know, delivering on time that the systems were working as, you know, intended and all of that and making sure that, you know, if there was any issue, we could actually see it and act upon that in a timely fashion to make sure that obviously like uh, clients were happy and we were delivering on our end too. You mentioned something interesting. You were hungry and wanted to do different projects. I'm wondering what's, what's your advice for people who want to progress quickly in their own company? How, how to do that? Maybe based on your experience, what would you advise them to do? Uh, it's a very good question. I don't think there's like a secret sauce to it. And this is perhaps just my opinion based on my experience. But something I did a lot was asking shitloads of questions and making sure that I was talking to a lot of people that, you know, were had responsibilities in the company to really understand like what was the level of work that they were, you know, carrying over. What is it exactly that they were working on? And basically very quickly make an opinion of what is it that the company is doing overall? What is it that I like? What is it that I don't really like? And what is it that I want to explore? And I guess something very specific to the Satalia was that if you liked something, if you had interest in something and you wanted to explore, you were given the chance to actually do that most of the time. So I had, I guess, the chance and the opportunity to do it and realize very quickly what is it that I actually want to pursue versus what, you know, is not really for me. And, you know, asking a lot of questions, making sure you can work hard and, and smart was, you know, is, is what I would recommend. Thanks. That, that's very useful. And also you mentioned, so when you were the head of solution, you had to manage people, make sure enough people were allocated to a project. So you should have worked quite closely with data scientists, right? So I guess you were maybe the transition between data scientists and the clients ensuring that the product that or the algorithm that they made really fit with what the client needed. So you have some kind of external view to what a good data scientist is because you didn't really do the algorithm yourself, but you had to work with them. So I think that's interesting. What's your view on a good data scientist according to you? So I was uh, I was sitting as, at the intermediate of you know between customers like clients the technical team and the product or design team. I think what I really liked with some of the data scientists and engineers in general that I used to work with and that I work with today is that they're real problem solvers and that you know they don't want to they understand like they take the time to understand the problem of the client to make sure that you know, they're building something that's working around the problem rather than a solution that's maxing out specific specs or like KPIs or things like that. Like what we were in this, you know, the reason we're doing this is because a client 
you know, is after something very specific. And so instead of going through a pile of tasks, they were not expecting to actually do that. They were expected to work on to solve a particular problem. And so developing the technology around the problem rather than, you know, trying to develop the best, most advanced machine learning algorithm, it wasn't the case. And this is what I liked about some of the people that I work with. And so you stay in the company for four years, something like that, maybe a bit longer. And then you decide to quit once you become head of solution. Can you tell me more about this? Why you decided to quit? Is there, yeah, did something go wrong or did you want um, to spend time on your startup? So I wouldn't say anything went wrong or anything like that. I think, you know, as I matured into the company, I started having some ideas, you know, from the experience that I got and from what I, I saw around me. And something very specific, you know, was that we worked with a lot of retailers and not specifically on their inventory, but that is still something that I got the chance to ask questions about. And I heard them talk about a lot, you know, having the right product at the right place at the right time was always their motto. And on the other hand, you know, I've got my, my girlfriend that has an online jewelry brand. They're on Shopify. And I could see that an SMB had literally the same problem as an enterprise business with regards to their inventory, which is that it's the core of their business, but they are still handling that very manually with an Excel. And it's prone to error. It's, you know, very much prone to error. There is a lot of issues with regards to that, like having out of stocks or having excess inventory. And, you know, it's never really the pedigree of the founders or like some C-suite level people to actually handle that. And so, you know, some ideas matured in my head and I guess my willingness to start a business and my conviction into the business was fueling me more than the job I had at the time. So that's what led to the transition. So then you started working on Predico, your, your startup, I guess. Can you tell me more about it? How, how did it start? And yeah, how did you get the idea of launching it, basically? I know it matured in your head while you were at Satalia. So yeah, tell me, tell me more about this. I guess it was a lot of time in, in the making in my head. Like, you know, I, I started thinking about this business, but it wasn't really that at the time, like, I had some ideas they needed to mature. I needed to speak around, like talk to people and, and get some advice and some, you know, be challenged. But there was a point where I realized that we talked to a few prospects and I got convinced that they had so many issues related to their inventory. That was a, a big pain point. The three main ones were the time that it took, the excess inventory, which, you know, is increasing their cost and the stockouts which is, you know, leaving money on the table because they cannot complete a particular sale. There is a willingness to buy from the customer, but there is no sale because they don't have the product. And then on the other hand, I also started looking at the market itself and was very convinced because e-commerce is huge, because supply chain has been disrupted by COVID and supply chain digitalization is something that was in the mind of a lot of the business leaders that I was talking to. And so I realized, you know, the opportunity was now. And there are a couple of points that were also super important is that I realized that Cetalia is the projects we were doing were extremely expensive for the clients, but they had big returns. So it was fine. 
also the data that we were getting access to was in a very bad shape, to put it politely. And working with smaller businesses that had similar problems, you know, they could they don't have the deep pockets of the large enterprise. So you had to come up with a solution that's scalable, that can be cost efficient. And on the other hand, they're working on e-commerce platforms, point of sales that is structuring the data for you. So like you get access to relatively structured data in, in a good, relatively good format, which then enables you to build a scalable technology. And this is, yeah, this is how, how we got started. Uh, we got convinced and, and we decided to give it a go. So it's essentially a product which predicts inventory for small businesses or e-commerce, whether they have too much inventory or to avoid them not having enough stock. Yeah, so Predico is an inventory optimization platform for e-commerce brands. So what we do is we help them monitor their stock in real time. We help them predict what their sales are going to be, so predicting demand. And then we put their reordering on autopilot by automating basically the generation of purchase orders. Like this is really how they work, right? They figure out that they're missing out on specific products and they want to reorder it. So they create what we call a purchase order, which they then send to their suppliers. They just don't do that in you know, a timely and optimized fashion. And we're here to help. So that's basically it. Cool. And I think one, maybe one challenge with this tool, I guess there are so many different things that you can design. You could either make something very easy and not flexible at all. For example, I don't know, the company submits a predefined CSV file and then you make all the predictions. And on the other hand, you can also make something very complex, but also very flexible. So I guess you need to find the right tool, something not too complex, but also not too easy. So where does Predico fit within this framework? It's a very good question. So Predico really wants to act as an extension of the small to mid-sized businesses team, right? So these guys are really left out in the equation. They're working on Excel. It's not their pedigree. These are non-technical people, like even demand planners who have somewhat, you know, of a mathematical background sometimes, or like a, a, an analytics background. They're not very technical people, which is totally fine. But as soon as a company hits that product market fit stage, they introduce new products, they increase their paid marketing budget, they do newsletters that are influencing you know, their sales. They need to take a lot of variables into account. And our goal really today is to make this tool completely easy to use, very simple for them and extremely accessible. It has to be very convenient and accessible from you know, a pricing point of view, a user experience point of view, and actually an output point of view. So our goal is to be on the left side of the equation. So like the first one you made, but try and give as many you know, features that would give some flexibility to the founders. Maybe something specific to that is we, we need to give them the ability to modify our forecasts because this is not a black box product. This is not an exact science, right? Like you will always, you, you can be as accurate as possible, but there will always be a margin of error. And so for that particular reason, you need to give the ability to the users to actually modify the forecast with some 
you know, intelligence things they've got in their head. For example, they're, you know, they have a business plan. They are launching new products. They are doing some influencer marketing. And all of these events have an impact on their future sales, right? We get access to their Shopify data. So like their historical sales, their historical marketing budget, and we calculate seasonality trends and generate forecasts, but we don't have you know, data that we don't have, which sits in their head. So we need to give them the ability to augment the predictions with some of their intelligence to basically do some scenario planning, business planning, and introducing this logic, you know, the ability to actually launch a new products, et cetera, is key to the success of our tool, but it has to be done in a way that is extremely easy to use and very simple. And that's what we're doing with, the, with Pretty Cool. Okay, I see. And yeah, that's actually what I wanted also to talk about. Like sometimes AI algorithms aren't perfect. And if the future data changes, your predictions are going to be wrong. And we could see this during COVID, right? A lot of algorithms had to be shut down or retrained because COVID data was completely new compared to previous data. So do you incorporate something in your algorithm so that he kind of knows when he doesn't know or when the accuracy starts to become worse than retrain the model? You know, how does it deal when with those scenarios like COVID when future data changes? Yeah, exactly. So look, we we are approaching it in a very simple way. We retrain the algorithm very frequently. This is very important because you have, you know, new inputs and you need to make sure you're, you know, training your algorithm based on this latest input so that it hopefully gives you better predictions in the future. There are things you just can't predict, like COVID. And, you know, we, we are very transparent with our customers. There are things like you can't predict. And this is why we're giving you this ability to play with the forecast as well. Like you have things in your head. There are things that have happened in the past. And, you know, we want to be giving them the ability to retrospectively let us know which event had a big impact on their tool, like on, on their sales. So, you know, we, um, we need to be transparent in a way that it's not to de-responsibilize ourselves, but it's just to make sure that they're responsible for the forecast. It's powered by your algorithms, but it's their forecast in the end. They make anything that they want out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You're providing the tool, but in the end, they should still make sure that everything is going well. And obviously, if the data changes, your algorithm is not a magician, I guess. So they will need... Yeah. Yeah, and they will. They will make sure that it's actually right because it's their job. And, you know, the goal of Predico in the end is to make these demand planners better at their job. Like it's it's a tool to support your decision-making process, not to actually replace you because it's never going to get it right 100%. Nobody will. And this is, you know, key to the success of what we do. And this is why, like, the first step for this company is to make sure that we are creating these optimized POs thanks to the help of the users. I see. So it's pretty cool because it's flexible. And also in the end, they get to play with those predictions. So you're not like outputting a single number and that's what your stock will be in X months. They can actually play with it and make sure that it fits their needs. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm wondering, how do you create such a, an algorithm? Uh, it should be, yeah, I guess quite complex to have a good algorithm, what's your process? Do you first 
collect data, then I don't know, try different algorithms, train them. How, how does it work? How do you iterate to get a satisfying product? So I'll give you a, a high level overview. And, you know, if you want like a very strong technical deep dive, I will have Nico, you know, my co-founder and CTO, uh, explain very, you know, in very like little details exactly how this works. But high level is perfect. High level is good. Okay. So something that is very specific to these SMBs, so small to mid-sized businesses, is that they don't have a huge amount of data. You know, it's not like a Tesco or Carrefour where they have years and years and years of historical data and loads, you know, in terms of volume. Some businesses have been trading for a year. We only have one year of historical sales. So you cannot apply the most advanced machine learning algorithms and, you know, the whatever, like, and they don't, they don't really care. Like this, you know, for them, it needs just to work. So the way we approach it is obviously, whenever we plug into a company, we've got access to their historical data and we can run some tests on the accuracy of our systems. We've got multiple algorithms that we're running. And basically we pick the ones that are the most effective for specific products, right? So in actually Predico, you know, Predico's forecasting engine consists of multiple algorithms that are running in the background and make sure that for whichever product an algorithm works best, we allocate it to that, right? Now, it might be that because they have very little data or because, you know, there is some specific products we don't have a lot of data about, you know, the forecasting accuracy can be a little bit lower than expected on some products. And we give them the ability to actually change the forecasting engine if they want to and give them transparency on the accuracy level of all the algorithm selection we've got. So they can see, you know, predictive engine, 82%. A rolling mean, like a simple rolling mean, maybe 73 and, you know, they have this ability to even add their own uh, forecast if they want to into the system. And it will be benchmarked against Predico. We don't, what we want is to make sure that they have the most accurate predictions and the best recommendations and therefore the best purchase orders. Whether it's through Predico's forecasting engine or something else, you know, obviously we'd love to build the most advanced forecasting engine for these SMBs. That's the goal. But we're very clear on the most important goal is to make sure that they 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 get you know the most optimized purchase orders and that they can make more sales and and reduce costs. Yeah, you mentioned something interesting here because when you're a student or in research, you think you want to use the most advanced, you know, state of the art deep learning models. But actually, in business, often it's like more simple and more traditional algorithms that work best for a lot of problems. And I think sometimes if you can solve a problem without using deep learning, that's sometimes even better, right? So that's- Welcome cool. to the real world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's like, you know, the first thing you notice, and I'm not, you know, as, as I said, I'm not a, a technical person, like I don't develop these algorithms, but something I realized from the position that I had is, as soon as you enter the real world and you come out of university, you're not being given a perfect data set that has been pre-processed for you and is full, like super comprehensive and you know, doesn't miss anything. You always have something wrong about these data sets. And actually, this is probably the most complex part, making sure that the data engineering done is done in a 
like you know most optimal way so that you can actually work with the data afterwards because that's i wouldn't say the easy bit but it's easier than the actual data processing itself exactly exactly and just a quick question how, how many are you in your company so we just uh raised some funds and we are like we just launched a product so we're now hiring we've we've actually completed our hires and we will be six by the end of october so in a month's time and as a ceo being responsible of those well six or five people um i know having your own company can be quite stressful a lot of pressure did you ever thought about quitting or did you have a very bad week or some pretty bad experience with your company or a very difficult moment i know being ceo of a startup can be quite challenging so so what's your view on this um you have great days you have bad days it's a bit of a roller coaster you know what they say is true uh, it's a new experience for me but uh never thought about quitting and you know i've got I, i actually you know you're constantly under pressure or you put some pressure on yourself but uh, this is something that i kind of like in a way you know because you want to you want to be fast you want to de deliver value to your customers you want to you know do things at scale and but you know it's important to just have a macro view on how things should be going like over like six months 12 months five years 20 years but it's also very important to understand like what is it that you're doing on a daily basis and you can have a shit day you go to sleep you wake up and you do something else so don't have a quitting mentality quite the opposite but yeah you have you've got some stressing days and then now we've got some people on the payroll and you need to make sure you know you're responsible for them so and that's also it's a pressure in itself but it's a good pressure because you're advancing in the right direction so it's actually you know some fuel to me um it's it's more motivation than anything else and what's your advice for someone who wants to start his own ai company i think having experience is almost mandatory in this space like you have you know founders that coming out of uni that dropping out of college and like you know it's cool and all but unless you're a small genius and you know everything about ai or like whatever like machine learning and some anything around data i think you know having experience in the space that you are applying your technology to is very important like for example for us having worked with retailers in the past has allowed me to understand like how they function what is it that's important for them you know you develop a network you can talk to people and this is very important because you'll need to talk to customers first or even like prospects or leads and you, you never develop an ai project unless you're doing some research you develop your technology and you want to apply it you know to the industry you need to understand where you're applying to and making sure that you've got a little bit of experience within that space or at least a very good understanding of how they work i think this is great because it's going to save you a lot of time so learn and then launch your startup but learn as much as you can before that it's well, not as much but rather as much as you need like it's it's more like it's in my opinion and it's right or wrong like it's it's it really depends on the person but to me i found it very valuable especially for example you know when talking to first customers and then creating a first 
version of our product, even talking to investors, there is something reassuring about having founders, you know, having worked in the space before. So, you know, there is a, a fit with the market that you're launching into. So, yeah. And then once you've got all that, you know, you talk to customers, you can build publicly with a little bit more credibility and, and confidence. You launch sooner. You make sure that you do that and, and you launch um, incremental steps. And then you celebrate your small wins and you make sure that, you know, everything fits together. Thanks for that, Yuri. That's super helpful. I want to now look a bit at your career. Well, you're quite young. I think you're like 20, 27 years old. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So you still, well, you already did a lot, but still got so much to achieve. So what's the future for you in the next five, 10 years? Is it with Predico or something else? Uh, man, my future over the next five to 10 years is going to be building my company. Um, I think, you know, to give you some perspective on what we're doing, Predico is today a good tool to help you create those purchase orders, which we've talked about quite a lot. But then within the supply chain activity of a company, creating a purchase order is really step one. Once you've got this purchase order, you need to actually place an order, you need to finance it, and you need to discover new suppliers as your company expands and you know enter new markets or launch new products. And for us, the real goal is to become a supply, an intelligent supply chain partner for these brands from the generation of the purchase order. So creating this IP and attracting companies with you know, this particular product and then making sure we can help them with the financing of the tool. And then moving on from that to discovering new suppliers. And there you've got some sort of like virtuous cycle whereby you, know, they, you attract them with the analytics, you retain them with the financing and you empower them with the discovery of new suppliers and suppliers, but also fulfillment services and so forth. And this is very important because they're struggling with the financing, not because they can't really pay for it, but because they need to do installments, they pay 90 days, um, you know, they don't have great terms with the suppliers. If we have the data and we do have the data to actually help them, you know, and build the confidence in ourselves, like we can fund these guys because we know that in six months, the predictions are telling us they can actually repay, you know, we'll give you better terms with your suppliers because we'll tell them we'll pay upfront in full, and then we'll discover some new ones for you and things like that. So, you know, this is really step one. We are six months into this company and we've achieved quite a few things, but we've got so much in front of us. And, you know, this is what five to 10 years will, uh, will be for us. Well, it looks very, very exciting. Well, let's finish this episode with one advice. If you had one advice to give to young people who are starting their career or at the beginning of their career. Yeah, just one advice. What would it be? An entrepreneur starting their company or just, you know, coming into the industry? In industry, I guess starting their career. Some, someone starting uh, his career, his or her career. Yeah. Um, I think it's very, very hard to find what you, what you like in life. And so, you know, making sure that you're spending the right amount of time on something, but as soon as you realize if it's the right thing for you, you double down. And if it's not like you move on, because I, yeah, it's, it's as simple as that. I think it's very important because, you know, when you're young, you have this ability to move from one place to the other very fast. 
And it's not easy, but at least, you know, as soon as you identify something you don't like, you should move on. And if you do like it, you should double down and make sure you become an expert in the area. Well, Yuri, thanks so much. It was so great to have you here. Hope to see you soon. And yeah, have a good evening. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, good luck. See you.